so good to see everyone here this morning and uh, we're thankful for those that are watching us live online right now those that are in the parking lot and we're just blessed to be able to come together aren't we I mean we just take these times for granted I know we said that all the time last year but when it comes time when we can't meet 
We realize how important these times are. So we're so thrilled that y'all could be here today. And if you're visiting with us today, we encourage you to please stop by our guest table in the lobby. Uh, pick up one of the uh, backpacks we have there. There's some information on our church. Uh, things that normally happen when we're on a regular schedule, but we would love to, for you to do that. And also encourage you to fill out the care card in your bulletin. And uh, you can drop that at the offering plate at the table as you leave today. We would love to have a record of your visit. And as we prepare for worship, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to read a passage of scripture as we prepare to sing. Go ahead and stand, please. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, but we have this treasure. This treasure is that glorious gospel that our praise team just sang about. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellent, excellence of the power may may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. In the midst of this fallen world, we have complete hope and complete confidence, and we have every reason in the world to be here today to worship him. So let's prepare our hearts for worship. If you would, just bow your heads. And we just ask the Lord to prepare your heart right now that you may be able to worship him. If there's things that have happened in your life this week where you've struggled and you need to confess, go ahead and do that. And just thank him that we have the privilege to gather and praise his name today. Lord, we love you, and may you take honor and glory. May you be honored and glorified. And may you take pleasure and your people today as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.
I have some prayer requests this morning. You know, last Monday I was coming to work and I saw a car wreck at the front of site and I didn't know who it was. Her, her name is Brittany Arms. We want to pray for her. Her little baby's okay too, her little boy. I saw him handing the little boy over to somebody. So let's pray for her. She's recovering at home. She has some injuries. So let's lift her up in prayer this week. I want to pray for Carrie Hopke. She's going to be having tests this week at home. Some of the hospitals are full, so she has to do that at home. I want to pray for her this morning. Then I want to remember some families of loved ones who've, been, who've passed away this week. I want to remember Bobby Millsap. I've worked with Bobby for a long time. And I uh, just want to remember their family. He passed away. The services are tomorrow. Also, Bob Miller's family. We want to pray for him, his family. He, he passed away. And her, his services will be tomorrow, too. I want us to remember all the staff and hospitals that are working so diligently and have for the last 18-plus months. Guys, they're tired. They're wore out. We need, they need our prayers. Uh, COVID's going higher and higher. I talked to some medical people Friday. So we want to really pray for them. Pray for these that are going through the most difficult time trying to take, about, take care of others who are hurting and pray for their families. And then again, let's remember our people in Afghanistan. Remember our troops, our citizens, and the people of Afghanistan. We have a lot to pray for this morning. So let's join me in prayer as we pray for these things. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I pray for Brittany this morning that you'd be with her. I pray you'd bring her help and healing as she's at home recovering. I want to thank you, Lord overlooking their lives last Monday. Lord, you're sovereign. You're in control of all things. We trust you. And Father, I pray for Carrie. Lord, as she goes through her test this week, be with her. Father, be with Bobby Millsap's family. Father, be with them. God, bring them great comfort. Lord, I pray you'd be with them. And Lord, through the services tomorrow, be with Bob Miller and his family. Lord, I pray you'd be with them tomorrow. Lord, in the days ahead. Father, be with our hospital staff across the state. Lord, across our nation. Lord, as they're dealing with COVID again. And Lord, family and friends need help. And Father, help us to pray one for another. And then, Father, we want to pray for those that are in Afghanistan. Lord, we want to pray for the people of Afghanistan, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Lord, the persecution they may endure because of evil. Pray you'd protect them and overlook their life. Father, I pray for our troops. And Father, I pray for our citizens that are there and for this week. And Father, we pray you'd comfort those who have lost lives there this week, their families as they're being flown back to the U.S. I pray, Father, that you would be with us as a nation. Help us to look up to the hills which come with our help. Our help comes from the Lord. And Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. Would you bless this time of preaching? Would you bless this time of singing? I'll bring you honor and glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
You're right, it is that they come Surely, surely. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now my head, you anoint my head with soil. Surely. My cup. My cup, okay. My cup overflows. Surely, yes. Surely, goodness will follow me all the days Surely of my life. Surely, goodness and love. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. She did better than I could do. Surely, surely. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 23 and stand with me. We're going to read one verse and then turn over to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be talking today about I shall not want and what David is talking about in this psalm or this part of this psalm is that because God is our shepherd he meets our needs but are we content isn't that the hardest thing in life sometimes is to be content with what you have your lot in life notice verse 1 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want then if you will turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 we're going to read verses 10 through 13 of course Paul's under house arrest and he makes this great statement on contentment. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If Jesus is your shepherd and if he's your strength, he can bring contentment to your heart in any situation you're in, good or bad. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we thank you that you are our shepherd. Lord, we're reminded we're just sheep. Lord, I pray that we'd show grace to each other as sheep, but Lord, we have a great shepherd. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for how you've met the needs of this church family. Lord, especially during this pandemic time, Lord, you've blessed us so much. I want to thank you for the faithfulness uh, Lord, of, of this church, uh, Lord, the members here. And Lord, I, for those that are in great need, Lord, physically, there's so many in our community. Lord, we pray for healing. As Mark mentioned, we pray for those who care for them, whether it be family members or medical personnel, first responders, emergency services. Lord, bless their work. Lord, as they uh, put their literally put their lives on the line to take care of others who are so sick. Lord, keep us healthy, we pray. Uh, but Lord, help us, help us to never take for granted, Lord, meeting together in this building. Lord, spending time with our family and friends, and Lord, just having this day. Today is the day that you have made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. And we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The, the primary focus this morning is going to be in Philippians, but if you'll notice the verse on the screen, just to kind of reiterate what David is saying here. Notice the Lord, he says. And I was reading this uh, pastor uh, who I like to hear. He said this, David uses the name Yahweh, the great Old Testament name, which literally means I am who I am. The transliteration of Yahweh, of course, is Jehovah. The name refers to God's self-sufficiency and timelessness. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need to be served. It's our privilege to serve him. He doesn't need to be helped. It's our great honor to co-labor with him. He doesn't need to be worshipped, although it's our highest act and attitude. He doesn't need anything. Yahweh is self-sufficient, self-controlled, self-sustaining. 
There's almost a play on words here in this opening statement. The God who doesn't need anything is about to take care of everything we need. The grace and humility bound up in this opening word is staggering. David effectively writes, The great, all-powerful, self-sustaining, timeless God who has stepped into my time, my space, has become my personal shepherd. The creator God is interested in my puny little world. And then he makes this great illustration. He said, I've read that our galaxy actually isn't that big at all. There are spiral galaxies out there with more than a trillion stars, giant elliptical galaxies with 100 trillion stars. According to estimates, the number of galaxies now, not stars, but galaxies, is somewhere between 200 billion. He says, do we know how many there are? Can we number them? No, but God can. He said, that's why David can write in Psalm 147, God knows the number of the stars. He doesn't just have them counted. He created them as well. Isaiah 40 says this, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. He calls them all by name. And he goes on to say this, The creator God who has named every one of those stars literally bends down, as it were, and willingly and graciously cares for the smallest details of our lives. Then he says this, The Lord is, present tense, always and forever. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he goes on to make this statement, The Lord is my shepherd. The powerful God is my personal God. And notice David doesn't say the Lord is my father's shepherd or my uncle's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, because of that, I shall not want. That's where we get the word content. I will be content. Isn't it amazing the first marriage in the Bible was ruined over lack of contentment? Adam and Eve had everything, but they were not content. They just wanted one more thing. And we're the same way if we're honest about it. You're not happy with your iPhone 10, so you get an iPhone 11. You're not happy with your iPhone 11, so you get an iPhone 12. Then when it's iPhone 455, we'll still be buying iPhones one because we're not content with what we have. You know, when the new car comes out, we, we want a new car. We want a better TV. We want, we want this, that, or the other because we are not content at times. But David's contemporary in the New Testament, in my opinion, is Paul. And Paul gives us a great lesson on contentment. And there's four aspects of what it takes to be content. And the first thing is this. The first word I would say in, in the whole realm of contentment is gratitude. Are you thankful for what you have? Notice the verse on the screen. Paul says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He's in prison, basically, house arrest. One person put it this way. I, I like how he put it. He said this, what does Paul have to rejoice greatly over? He's chained to the praetorian guards. He's under house arrest, eating a rationed, meager diet without many friends and for the most part forgotten by the church. But Paul says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly because of your care for me. Notice the care that they gave him. Epaphroditus went and brought some meager money to Paul. Because when you're in prison in those days, especially Roman prison, all that you had is what people brought you, basically. I mean, they gave you very little, and then Paul sent out this request. They honored that request and gave him just meager, meager amount of money. And Paul says, when you did it, he said, he has flourished, it has flourished in me. He says, under house arrest, it's almost like I started to bloom again because of your grace in my life. Paul is showing tremendous gratitude. He goes on to say this, one, one scholar says, in other words, to Paul, their gift was like fresh flowers that had just begun. That's why he uses the word flourishing. And Paul begins to rejoice greatly in the Lord because for Paul, here in this rented quarters, he's under house arrest. It's just turned into a garden in full bloom. Adam and Eve lived in a garden. It wasn't enough. Paul's living in change, and it has become to him a great garden of gratitude. Appreciate whatever you have 
and you're on your way to learning contentment. That's why God basically had feasts and festival days for the Jews, so they would not forget. That's why we have communion, so you will not forget. It's really good, I think, sometimes for us to get out of our world and get into other people's worlds that are a lot worse off than we are, and I think we'd really appreciate more of what we have. In 2010, if you'll show this picture, I had the great honor and privilege of going to Haiti, and this is Tent City, 50,000 people living in tents because they were displaced. 50,000 people just in this one spot right here at the, at the base of this little mountain. I got to meet a lot of them. Uh, really hard. The language barrier was hard. One of the hardest, uh, literally one of the hardest weeks of my life, I lived in a tent that week as well with, with, our, with our group. Randy Smith and Bradley Johnson, great people. We, we met with missionaries who had been there for 25 years. We built homes one day. The, home, the homes that we built, and I'm not going to go through all pictures and things like that, but my office is bigger than their homes, a lot bigger. I have a two-room office. They had a one-room block building with, with a tin roof. There's no insulation. There's, there's nothing like that over there. And, you know, when, when you see that and then you go out to where other people live who have different homes and, you know, they have an upper class and a lower class, there's no middle class really in Haiti. You know, I mean, what we have is, for the most part, better than anything they have, anything they have over there. I saw people taking uh, baths in, in uh, mud puddles on the side of the road. No, no traffic signs over there. Just, just a, a mass chaos in Port-au-Prince. If you went over there, you may be going two lanes, two lanes. Then it would be three lanes, one lane. Then it may be four lanes, no lanes. That's just how it was. Every car was beat up. It was, it was just hot. The sun was shining bright at 4.30 every morning. Because in my tent, I could hear the Muslim call to prayer. You hear the water trucks going out. And you get up. But what I learned over there is I'm blessed to live in America. I have a lot of stuff. I am over, I am abundantly blessed. The poorest I ever was growing up, and I'm a free lunch kid, right, was more than probably 90% of all the Haitians ever had. I was not poor. Not poor compared to this. I'm talking about some of the happiest people I met were in Tent City right there. It was unbelievable. And you come back and you're just thinking, wow, in America, we are so, so blessed. I remember talking to a pastor in one of the Haitian churches. His church ran about 800. It's a nice building, just cement floor and chairs that folded out. And he says, you guys take things for granted. And I, I thought he was talking about the church. He says, no, just you in general. He says, you're just so blessed to have what you have. You, know, you drive down Haiti and the trash is piled up higher than the, your car is. It's just, just how they live. And then you come back to America and we, we see people that feel so entitled, you know, feel so entitled. Paul is, on, is in house arrest, chained to a guard, barely eating, don't know when he's going to be let go. He's in there for doing what I'm doing right now. And he says, I rejoice greatly because you brought me a little bit of money. The psalmist, I believe it was, yeah, I don't know if David wrote this psalm or not. But he, he says this, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. See, we've been talking about stuff, but you've been blessed spiritually as well. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Gratitude. One way to be content is to be thankful for what you have, for who you have, and for where you are in life, regardless of the circumstances. 
The second key word here for contentment is responsibility. Notice what Paul says. He uses an interesting word here. If you'll, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, okay, because God had met his needs. For I have learned, look at the word learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. That's a good, that's a good verse to put on your coffee cup. I have learned. John MacArthur says, and here's the principle, not only should we appreciate whatever we have, we should apply whatever we learn. Paul writes further in verse 11, I have learned to be content. The verb Paul uses informs us that he learned it by means of experience over time. Which means Paul had to apply God's truth that he learned to whatever he experienced in life and whatever circumstance. Which means Paul didn't get contentment automatically. Which means we don't get contentment automatically with the life just because we're saved. Which means if Paul had to learn contentment, so do we. He goes on to say this, for Paul it grew over a lifetime. As he faced adverse situations in finances and health, relationships, learning to apply the truth of God, of who God was and what God said, no matter what he faced, learning to grip tightly, not to his expectations of what he thought ought to happen, but gripping tightly to the grace of God in the midst of whatever did happen. The word Paul uses here for content, he says this, I've learned to be content is a word that refers to someone whose resources are within him, so that he doesn't depend on the substitutes around him. What Paul is saying is this, on the inside of my life, I am content regardless of what I have or regardless of the situations I'm in. I've learned it. In other words, Stephen Davies says, contentment isn't created by a salary package or a title or health or popularity. It doesn't depend on a retirement plan or smart kids or a big garage or a stock tool shed. Those are external. And those come and go like the ocean's tides. Solomon said this, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Be wise enough to restrain yourself. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Contentment is not gained externally. It is grown internally, and we have a responsibility in the matter. We have to learn. That word learn, it comes from the word back in those days of like whenever you pass through certain rituals, all right, and then you finally graduated. That's what the word means. I've went from step one, two, three, and four, and I've finally graduated. Paul says, it's taken me a lifetime, but I've learned that in whatever state I am, to be content. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, contentment is not something that may be exercised naturally, but a science that is acquired gradually. Brother and sister, hush that complaint as natural as it is and continue as a diligent student in the college of contentment. So you have gratitude, responsibility, you have acceptance or contentment is a better word to use in my opinion. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He makes this statement. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Paul says, I, I, know, I know how to have a lot and I know how to have a little. You know, oftentimes we struggle more with having a lot than a little. Paul says that one word is overflowing there. He says... When, I'm, when I have more than I need, he said, I've learned to be content even in that state. All right? And then he says, I've learned to be content when I have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then he says, I know how to be full and how to be hungry. He says, I'm content either way. God will meet my needs. And when you think about the things Paul went through in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul moves us through his personal testimony of extreme circumstances. And you can read it. He says, he, he tells the Corinthian believers where he gives details of hunger and thirst, being beaten, being homeless, treated as the scum of the earth, he says, and the refuse of the world. And then two chapters later, Paul writes, he says, as servants of God, we've experienced 
afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleeplessness, sleepless nights, and hunger. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 11, he goes on and says this. He says, five times I received 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift in the sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, and tool hardships and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul says, I have learned. I know how. Look at the words. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both. There's a word again. Learn to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Contentment begins with a confidence in God's sovereignty, and a contented person can handle all the circumstances of life. And then the final word is this, dependence. The most quoted, one of the most Quoted verses in all the Bible, which is taken out of context nine times out of ten, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not talking about winning your ball game. That's not talking about being successful. This is talking about losing a ball game, actually. That's <laughs> what it's about. You know, people used to always post those pictures of Tim Tebow. They had Philippians 4.13. And I'm thinking, Tim, I hope you understand the context of that, because if you lose, that's when you wear those, right? I can be content whether we win or lose. That's what it means. Paul says, I can do this because the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. MacArthur put it this way, Paul was content because he was sustained by divine power. Our adequacy, our sufficiency comes from being attached to the adequate and sufficient one. We're not really self-sufficient, we're Christ-sufficient. It's because we're linked to his life and linked to his power in us that we have sufficiency. He goes on to say, he used a Greek verb that means to be strong or to have strength. He's saying, I'm strong enough to go through anything because of him who infuses me with his strength. He does not mean that I could live forever with no food. He's not talking about miraculous provisions in that sense. What he's simply saying is that in those extremities of life, I have no more human re where I have no more human re resources, I'm sorry, I'm in fused with the strength of Christ. The Bible says to him who has no might, he increases strength. God speaking through Isaiah says this, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail but those who wait on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To him who has no might, God increases strength. Paul is saying this, I am content because I have seen the power of God in my life. And Paul confidently can say this, I can do anything and, and be in any circumstance or situation because Jesus Christ is my life. And Jesus Christ is my strength. MacArthur goes on to say this, In other words, you as a believer have a resource within you, the life of God within you, which is a power source that can sustain things that you can't and can't imagine. And God will help you get through it. Have you ever said, I don't know how I got through that, but I got through it. 
It's because Jesus is why you got through it. Because he is your strength. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And after I pray, we're going to go into a business meeting. But at this time of invitation, do you need God's strength? Do you need God's strength this morning? It's there available. Humble yourselves and ask God for his strength. You and the Lord know what you're going through. God knows what you can and can't handle. Humble yourselves under your Lord and take the hand of your shepherd and ask for strength. Are you content? God, please help us, Lord. So many of us in here today need strength. Lord, there may be some here today or even listening, uh, Lord, live that are thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Well, you're going to get them through it because you're our strength. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, prayed that his people would understand and be strengthened. And Lord, that's what I pray for myself and for our church. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, they don't have a shepherd. Psalm 23 at this moment does not apply to them. There will never be spiritual contentment apart from Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'd save them for your honor and for your glory. Father, I pray that men, women, boys, and girls would repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in the resurrected Christ, the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd you said. Father, we're so thankful we have a shepherd. Lord, you just don't lead us in this life, but you take us to be with you in the next, and we're so thankful for that. Father, we pray that you get the honor, the glory, and the praise for all that's said and done, and help us as your bride to be content in you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say together, amen. Well, we're going to go into our business meeting, so if you're a visitor and you don't want to stay, um, you can be dismissed now, but we're going to ask our members to stay. It shouldn't take all that long.